Welcome to The Entrepreneur Show. This is your host, Michael Mara. I'm the CEO and founder of Entra, a social network for entrepreneurs, investors, and freelancers. On this show, we interview the top CEOs, venture capitalists, angel investors, and founders. Connect with me and thousands of other like-minded people by signing up for free at joinentra.com or download our mobile app on iOS and Android. Rob, really appreciate uh, you being here, taking the time. I'm excited to get into this. I think uh, you have an incredible story, which we're going to get into here. And uh, you know, you've been an entrepreneur now for you know over 25 years, and uh, you've lived through some really interesting time periods as well. And you're uh, so you think of the current time period, but we'll get into that uh, later on. I want to start with uh, really kind of how you initially got going. Like what, what made you even want to get into entrepreneurship in the 90s? Because it wasn't as cool as it is now. It wasn't something that was as popular as it is now. So what made you want to do that? Uh, what was like the, the reason that you wanted to, you know, kind of be your own boss or start your own company? And, and how did that all happen? Yeah, I guess it's really two things. One is I come from a, a entrepreneurial family. So my grandparents, uh, my grandfathers had their own small businesses. My dad had a business. Everyone in the family has been pretty entrepreneurial. So I think there's a little bit of that. I was raised to think this is kind of normal. And then uh, the second part is when I got out of college, I graduated in 90. I had my first job. And I ended up getting fired like within six months or so because they were downsizing and they did a restructuring and I was, you know, a young guy in there and I got let go. And, and it kind of just made me think like, I don't want to work for someone. Like I, I didn't feel like, you know, uh, I had control over the destiny of my life. And I even said that they took me to lunch because they were so like, they felt so bad. And I remember there was like seven people in the office and they, and they asked me at the end, one guy, what'd you learn about this experience? I said, I'll never, I'll never effing work for a company again in my life. This sucked. So I got fired by fax. Actually, I got fired by a fax by corporate headquarters, sent the fax over and my name was on it. And I, I was manning the fax machines at the time. So I thought, you know, terminate this guy. And I was like, okay, this sucks. So, uh, so that, that kind of drove me to think, wow. what, what could I do something uh, purposeful for myself. That that's, that's actually a really interesting story. I, you're, you're the first person I've ever heard that's gotten fired by uh, a fax. <laughs> so, well, oh, that, we'll spend my day. Yeah. That's a, that's a really funny way to, uh, to, to get fired. Um, so you, you started a uh, live person in 95, right? And you basically invented live chat on websites and everything. So how did you see, cause it now it's like almost every single website and app has this. How did you, number one, what, how did the idea come about? And then how, how did you even think of that to begin with and, and, and see the potential in what that would become? Because now I'm sure you're like looking back on it, you're like, you know, this is pretty insane that every single website has this feature that uh, you know, we basically started and, and what was that? So what was the inception of that? How did it come to life? You know, I'm look, I 95, I, I got into the business and the internet was just starting on the commerce side and I'd seen the internet in 93, it was more like an academic tool and then it was commerce. So 95 commerce starts to hit. And I remember, you know, I was building websites and one of the greatest challenges was that, you know, consumers were on these websites. And I remember for myself, I was, I was trying to buy on Dell, Dell computers website and I configured a computer and then I, I need to call someone. And I remember I talked to someone on the phone. I had to hang up, I had a dial up connection. It was a mess. And I thought that's ridiculous. Like, why can't I just chat at the point of need? And I wanted to bring the people back into the store. It was pretty straightforward. And I always felt that conversations really created a personalized experience. So that's what drove me to create web chat and it didn't exist at the time. And now it's, you take it for granted. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's the thing that I created cause it just chat was around and there were chat rooms and different chat things. And ICQ just came out, uh, which is a precursor to like WhatsApp and stuff, but, but there was nothing on the West. So I, I invented the technology and then filed the first patents on it. 
Yeah. And it's uh, like you're saying, I mean, it's, it's one of those ideas that you're just like, why doesn't this exist? And uh, I think that's, oh, I think, I think you just refreshed the page. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, just the fact that he uh, invented that and filed patents on it is, is pretty insane. Um, I'm sure all of you are using web chats and, and mobile chats all the time now. And, uh, it looks like you just pop back in, but yeah, I think, uh, it's, it's just crazy. Like to, to, to think like, uh, how, how that got started and how it transformed. I mean, I love chat now. Like I, I don't want to call these, you know, any software service or any of that, uh, wait on even today, wait online. And it blows my mind how still some people don't have the chat integrated yet. And we're still doing this. It's insane. Uh, but it, it means that there's still obviously opportunity for you to keep growing your business. And, and it's, uh, obviously transformed over the last 20 years which we'll definitely get into with the inception of uh, more AI and data, which I know you're big, big into as well. Uh, I want to, you know, keep, keep things at the early stages and, and tell us more about when you took the company public, cause you, you went public at a really interesting time, right? You went, you went public, what, April 2000, yeah. which is basically right before the, the, <laughs> the biggest dot-com uh, crash that we've, that we've seen for tech companies. So number one, walk us through what that was like, just taking the company public in general, like, was there any things that you learned about that experience and, and whatnot? And then I'd, I'd love to have you share too, how you, how you kind of persevered through the crash and, and what that whole time frame was like, cause it had to just be insane. Yeah, it was a very surreal, I mean, 2000 and 2001 was fairly surreal and something that, you know, I hope to never repeat, which was, you know, we went out, we were going public April 7th of 2000. We were three weeks doing a road show um, to North at the company to go public. We were raising uh, $60 million was our raise, which was big back then. And uh, about the second week into the road show, um, the, the analyst, the, 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 the head economist at Goldman Sachs, I think her name is Abby Cohen. She, I remember it, we were somewhere in the middle of America, like, and we woke up in the morning and we were watching CNBC and she came on and said, the internet's bubble and you should start selling. Like, I remember this and it was already kind of fragile. People thought this is ridiculous. The valuations and stuff, we, we had 2 million in revenues. And we were supposed to go public with a $600 million market cap on 2 million in revenues. So the, that day it went down 300 points. I remember this. And then it went, it started to go like this. And as we were closing up the road show, we were 10 times oversubscribed going into that day, like 10 times more buyers than we needed. And when we got to price the deal, we were half, the book was half built. That's how many of the buyers disappeared. And so. We got it out the door. We raised 30 instead of 60 million. We cut the valuation to half to 300 million and we went public. And then I just knew like it was over. And then a series of things happened by, um, by the end of the year, I get a call from our head of sales on the West coast and he normally was booking like a hundred new customers a month. And in like November of 2000, he booked zero, he had zero customers, went from a hundred new sales to zero. And he was booking all the dot-coms on the West coast down in Silicon Valley. And he, I called him and said, Dwight, what the hell's going on? He goes, there's no more sales. I said, what are you talking about? So I, I went on a plane and flew out the next day. I met with them in San Francisco and I said, what's going on? He goes, look, it's over. He said, it's over. He goes, you should shut us down. Imagine this guy ran the office sales guy he says, you should shut us down. We're done. And you're going to feel it next on the East coast and globally but this is the future. So I was like, oh shit. So we ended up shutting them down. And then we hit 2001 and, uh, you know, I went to the board directors with a, with a, a, a restructuring plan to basically terminate 80% of the people, employees in the company in one, in one shot and do it early because I didn't want to run out of money. Now 
what people don't know, people may know, I, my first, I had a company out of college that I started from 1991 to 1995 and that company went under. So when I started this company, I, I was very broke. I slept on a couch in an office. I couldn't afford to have an apartment or anything. I mean, I was eating ramen noodles. This was 24 months of this. That left a scar on me that was pretty deep. And so when I was faced with the fact that potentially this company could go under, I wasn't going to mess around with it. I was like, we're just going to fire. We're going to get our cost structure down to 2 million a year. That's what's going to happen. And a lot of people, my peers were thinking there was more money to raise. It was just a temporary thing. And it wasn't, it, it was a permanent thing. And we just took it seriously and we, we did the hard work and, and that's what happened. So I fired up. There's 140 people we terminated in one day and there were 40 of us left to run a public company. And then the stock went down from, uh, to about seven cents a share around, uh, around nine 11. And so we had a $2 million market cap at our low point. Now today we're three and a half billion, but we were 2 million back then. So wow. it was, uh, yeah. that's insane. Um, what, like, were you able to, number one, how, how did that like, I, I love the fact that you, you wanted to make this, you, you had no other options besides making this work and you did whatever it took to make that happen. How hard was it to let the people go? And then as you came back, did you bring back any of these people? Did, um, did the core team like really appreciate the fact that you wanted to see this through and you wanted to make this work rather than just giving up. No, I mean, it was, that's, you know, you're dealing with it's reality of people's lives. Now, the thing was, we weren't the only person, I mean, the layoffs were happening in mass. And so there was like some microsystems would blow a dollar. I mean, tech in itself was in the toilet. So there was a lot of bad things going on. So we weren't unique to the situation. With that said, you know, obviously it was hard to do it. It's the first time, the first time I ever had to fire everyone was this type of a situation, not one person. At, at that point, I just hired people. And so, you know, one of my board members, Bob Matchlot, who um, also uh, served on the board at Disney, he was the vice chairman of Seagrams and Morgan Stanley. He was on my board. We came through a venture round. And he told me when we gave the restructuring plan to the board, he said to me, he goes, I'm going to give you a piece of advice because you're really young. I was, you know, 33 in public. And he said, uh, you know, you're, you've never fired anyone. And he says, and, and, uh, what you're about to do is lay off like 80% of your company. And I don't know if you're going to make it. He said, the restructuring plan seems like a dream. Like I'm saying like, you know, you know, but it's so out of there. You got to like fire these people. We got to move all the customers to a new platform of a company we bought that's cheaper. We got to get out of our leases. I mean, there was this like, it was 20 things we had to do to perfection. And he said, look, I don't know if you're going to make it, but you're really young. So, and you have a whole career ahead of you. So what I'm going to give you a piece of advice. Just don't bullshit them. Like if you bullshit them, whoever that, whoever they are, like don't bullshit the employees. Don't bullshit the investors. Don't bullshit yourself. You just got to say it like it is. And they'll remember you for that. And after it's all done, like, they'll just think you were a straight shooter and, and they'll respect you for it. But if you start doing bullshit, they're going to remember that. And then you're going to ruin your reputation. And so, so when we did it, we were like totally honest, like, and the people who stayed, I was very honest with them too. And with our shareholders, you know, at that time, there weren't many, but it was like, just tell them the way it is. And, you know, we sucked it up and, and we made it through. And we're here today for it. So it, it, it gave us a unique story as a company. It gave us a, a foundation that very few companies have. The great ones usually have them. They usually have a story like this, but this is unique to us. I, I absolutely love that. I think there's a lot to be said for, for that. And I think from interviewing and talking to other founders and even investors to, uh, being radically transparent, uh, is a, a really strong sign of leadership. And, uh, when people feel like they 
understand what's going on and, um, you know, you're able to, at the end of the day, tell the truth about what's happening and just being real with people, uh, that goes a long way. And I think that's, I think we're starting to see a, a transition happening across a, a few, uh, several industries, um, that this is, this is coming to the forefront. And if you're not real, if you're not genuine, if you're not authentic, if you're not transparent with people, uh, employees, uh, investors, all of that, that you're, you're not going to be able to do anything uh, going forward. And I think uh, people recognize, recognize bullshit a lot quicker nowadays, especially the younger kids like Gen Z, they do not, they, they've seen so many ads, they've seen so many scams and, and BS with, uh, you know, on the internet and elsewhere that they can spot, you know, uh, you know, disingenuine or fake things so fast nowadays. Uh, it, it's really, it, it's really funny. Um, look, I, I, it's, it's, I have distance between that moment and today, but it was, uh, you know, it was emotionally draining. You know, I remember that day I, I had to, I let go of, I had to let go of, there were four people I hired. My first hires were four people. And, and that day I, I was tasked with letting go of three out of the four. That was my task. The rest was taken care of by my CFO and another guy. And it was tough, you know, and, and we never talked again because they ran, they ran out of the, they ran out of the will. They didn't have the will because they were millionaires on paper where we went public and now we're not worth anything. And so it, it sounds cold, but I cried. Like I cried actually. And I had to let this woman who was in the marketing, who was such a great person. And I let her go and she cried and I cried with her. And she said, I, she goes, I get it and, and everything, but, and then there was more crying going on for the rest of the year. Cause it's emotionally draining. You're just, you know, and somewhere I became very numb after nine 11, I became pretty numb to everything because it was so surreal. We were in New York, we watched the towers go down. It was like managing through a fear of death. And you, you just, as a human become kind of numb and you're like, just, you just like, I got to work through this and emotionally you're kind of done. So it, it, it was, it, it sucked, you know, it emotionally took a toll on me and it taught me a lot of lessons, you know, at the same time. So. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate you sharing that. And I think it's something that, um, so many entrepreneurs, like there's, there's so many ups and downs, uh, with this. Uh, and when you get into this, you don't really understand it until you, you actually do it. I did it. You know, when I used to be a civil engineer and got into all this stuff, like it, it's just a whole different world. It's one of the reasons why our logo is like that the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. And, um, we actually had a question last yesterday, kind of around this too. Uh, but one of the things that is really interesting that I, I think is also really helpful for people is how people go through these hard times or how they deal with their mental health and wellness, uh, do you have any things that you'd like to share around that or things that you do when, when these things happen, like when you are going through a rut or a hard time with your business, uh, are there things that you, you tend to go to, or are there books, are there things that you do that you've seen help or that you can share with other people that might be able to help them as they're going through maybe some of these, these hard times? Yeah. I mean, look, that, that's the, 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 the part is the mental game. Like you can really, um, put yourself in the dumps. And so, and it's easy to do that. And it's hard running a business. Like a business is, it's a very, people don't realize you're like, you're a professional athlete and you're, you're, but they don't see it like that. You know what I'm saying? Like there's athletes and you see them on the court, the agony of defeat and all that stuff and business. It's kind of like, it's different for entrepreneurs. It's like, you're in that game all day. And then the higher you take the game the more professional you are. So the, 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 you know, the more pressure you have to perform. And so, I mean, through my path and my journey, I, I just, I did so many things. I did Tony Robbins. I, I, you know, I, I, I read, I'm a tremendous reader of books and, and, and especially biographies and stuff. Um, I remember losing my virginity, which was Richard Branson's book. I was reading it during the road show of the IPO and it was like, it just kept me kind of focused. Um, like he went through so much to build virgin and everything. And, 
And then, you know, then I, at 40 years old, I got into meditation. I went to India. I just saw, I made my way there. So I was talking to a guy and I, for my birthday, I was on a flight and I, he said, why don't you go to India? And I went to this ashram. Meditation really helped me, um, understand things about the world around me. And it made me understand that regardless of the world around me is in a chaotic mood. Um, I have a purpose in life that God gave me. And as long as I'm doing what I believe God wants me to do, and, and really meditation allows you to tap into your inner voice. As an entrepreneur, we talk about gut and inner voice. It's a real thing. It's a real thing that's inside of you. And if you can use meditation to drown out the, the active voices and really listen to what's your, what's being told to you, you'll be okay. And so I, I kind of found my way to, to that. Uh, now I've been doing breath, I've been doing breath work, uh, recently I'm doing that. I, I you've got to, you've got like athletes have all these tools and you have to view yourself as an athlete. The average tenure of a public company CEO is five years and I've been now 21. So it's like, it just takes a lot out of you and, uh, and you gotta be able to be centered, you know, and it's hard. It's the hardest thing to do to go to bed at night with a clear mind, wake up in the morning and feel good. Like it just doesn't happen every day. Like it, that's that, I, you know, and I see all this BS with motivational speakers trying to pump up entrepreneurs and just get up and it's horseshit. That's why I created my podcast called over the wall was to really dig deep into like the realities of it. Let's talk about like, it, it's, it's hard at times you feel vulnerable. You get stressed. You don't feel good. You think you failed. I mean, these are all things that we're humans. Uh, but a lot of times we don't tell those stories. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that. There's a couple of things that you just brought up that um, we, we could probably have a podcast on end up themselves. But uh, two things that I really loved. Um, number one, comparing entrepreneurship to athletes. Um, and I've actually realized this same thing I, uh, over the last five, 10 years now, how much it's related. And the weird part about, uh, especially at CEOs and like being the, the founder is you're kind of, you kind of have to play being like the quarterback and the athlete at the same time as in a lot of ways being the coach too which, which can be very difficult. Um, so I don't know if you've, you've made that, uh, comparison before, but if you want to speak to that too, real quick or how you balance that, because that's one thing I've noticed. And one thing that's been hard for me too, is because you need to perform. Uh, but you also, in a lot of ways can, if you are just a really good coach and manager, then you let the other people perform well at, at, you know, also, and, and, and some people are actually better at doing that than actually playing themselves. So how do you, how do you look at that? Is it something where you're more of an athlete in the earlier days and then you become a coach later on as you become a larger company or how, how do you kind of compare that, 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 you know, athlete versus coach as it relates to entrepreneurship? Yeah, I think, I think Michael, you hit it. That's like such a great point because I, you know, I, I wish I was an individual contributor. Like uh, I think of a tennis player and they're just playing tennis. Right. And it's that, and then they have coaches, coaches, and that's all they have to focus on. Like if all I had to do all day was just focus on myself and bettering myself and that could give me the results I need, but I can't build, uh, you know, a multi-billion dollar company with myself. I couldn't build you know, a $2 million company with myself. Right. So this is the thing, like you're, 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 you've got to, you're executing on your work, which a lot of times is you're selling, you're supporting, you're like, you're doing things to drive revenue. And on the same time, you're managing a bunch of people that have their own things and their own personalities. And you're trying to get all that lock stepped. And so this is what take, this is why, this is what kind of pulls at both ends. And so some days you think, man, I I'm, I'm on, Personally, I'm on, I'm nailing it. I'm so, and then over here, you got something going on with somebody you work with or over here, it's perfect. And then ah, it's not, you know, so it's, I think it's tougher than the professional, professional sports, you know, athlete, because you're right. We're coaching and we're, we're the quarterback coach all day. 
And, and that's a really hard thing to do. And that's a hard skill to build, by the way. Like, so it'd be great if you're just a coach or it'd be great if you're just an individual contributor, but as a, as a leader of a business, we always say we need player coaches. We, in our company, we like to hire player coaches. Like coaches here just don't work very well. If you don't get your hands dirty, like there's a, this is a lack of respect here. And so it's because part of this is what I feel like you, if I want to be in the business, I got to have my hands in the business. So I agree with you. And so you're, you're playing psychologists a lot, trying to understand people. So all I can say is if I take a step back, it starts with your vision. It starts with the mission of your company and it's values. And, and I didn't, we didn't put values in, in our company until, until about 10 years in. And I kind of wish we would have done it earlier because if you set those up right, and they're very clear as you hire people, you're hiring against that. And if you have issues with people, it's usually against your values. What you find is that I'm having an issue with the person. It's really values. It's, they don't represent the values in this company. I don't even know what the values of the company because they're in your brain versus like they're written down and they're memorialized and they're being lived and trained. If you can do this, even with 10 people in a company, I would do it. This is, this is what I do. It, it would make the player coach thing easier. I love that. I think, uh, you're spot on it's, and it's something that I'm, I'm trying to figure out as well, when to be the player and to be the coach. Uh, and it's something I think, uh, you need to, and I think a lot of it goes back to also a, a lot of people, they want to, they'll, they'll do what, you know, they see happening within the company as well. So if they see you only managing or only coaching, then that's, that's kind of the essence of it. But if they see you, you know, actually doing the work also, then they understand that, okay, even though I'm a manager or an executive too, there's some points in times where I need to be, I need to get the work done as well. I can't just keep managing people. So I, I think that that's, that's really, really important. I, I, I love this topic. I think, uh, so there's definitely something there that needs to get like that idea is, uh, something that I wish it needs to get talked about more in the, in the space, but, uh, moving on, uh, I know you do a lot of stuff and, and as we're, as we're getting towards the end here, if, if we'll, we'll, we'll take some, some questions, uh, too, from the people listening live, um, and, you know, obviously we're recording this and it will go out, uh, but. If you guys have questions, uh, just drop them in the room chat there and we'll, and we'll get to some questions, uh, towards the end as well, uh, for Rob, but I want to, I want to start talking a little bit more about what you guys are doing now at live person, your interests now, um, as the, the industry has evolved, um, it, it seems like you guys are really getting into data and AI now. Uh, and I, I know you're also involved in another AI project, uh, equalai.org, which I'll, I'll drop the link to that as well. But if you want to speak to that, uh, real quick on, you know, how your business has evolved and then where you see this industry going, uh, and if you want to touch on anything with, with AI as well, I think it's a very fascinating thing that's going to be impacting a lot of industries going forward. Yeah. I mean, I, I fundamentally believe that, you know, Everyone's talking about AI and stuff like that, but I, you see the practical application of it, which is automating in our case, the communications between our brand and its consumers. But ultimately I, you know, I made a big pivot out of chat seven years ago or seven years ago, I, I, I put a business plan in to, to make the pivot. I didn't think chat was going to get us to this future. I, cause I've always thought that conversational digital conversations are powering commerce. We see that that's what we saw in chat. But chat wasn't scaling at any real rate. Like it wasn't like there's still billions of phone calls happening to brands every day, even though there was our chat business. So we, we pivoted it into messaging, like asynchronous messaging, like people are messaging on WhatsApp and Facebook. So that's aligning with consumer behavior, but there's a bigger vision. And I, I, I what we're trying to build with the company is an AI that would live in your life, like an Alexa, but that you would trust that would feel like it's yours. And that it will help you solve your most important intents in your life. And that's where I, we need to get time back. We still waste a lot of time on a lot of things from 
healthcare advice, like we're working on a health product. You know, it's like, I got to talk to my doctor and they give me these tests and I don't really know what it means. And they tell me to take a pill and there's such an, an inefficiency in all of that. So how can we help with that? We launched a bank around this concept, around community and connection and, and, and getting you to get real ownership over your finances. It's called Bella. And, and actually, I re, the AI ultimately we, we call Bella. And then we have all these brands. We have 10,000 companies that are on our platform and they're using our technology to power like T-Mobiles and, and Citibanks and, and companies like that that are powering their AI experiences with their consumers. But one day I want to power them with Bella too. So I just see there's got to be, if you ever saw the movie Her, it's kind of like what we're trying to create. We're trying to create this lovable, you know, thing that can be in your life, help you. I want to get a tutor for my kid. I'll find you one. I want to book a trip to Italy with my family. I'll find. I want to pay my bill at T-Mobile. Great. I want to check out, like, it, it, Bella wakes up and tells me, hey, it seems like your sleep wasn't too good last night. Maybe we should change your workout today. Here's your new workout. Great. Did, hey, have you eaten correctly? Tell me what you, like, that's the kind of thing we're constructing. It's not fantasy. We're putting in all the layers to build that. And that, that's kind of my vision. That's really fascinating. I think, are, so to that point, are you, are, are you guys planning to get into hardware then? Are you thinking about, okay, how can we actually, or are you partnering with hardware companies and that you guys are more of the data and AI layer on top of that? How, how is that? How are you thinking about that? Because I, I 100% agree. I mean, I think like now, uh, you know, there's so many Alexa devices people are used to or starting to get used to actually talking to, you know, these objects and essentially these AI, you know, voice controlled uh, speakers that control lights and everything else. Like it's been great even for, you know, my grandma, she tells Alexa to turn on this light and that light and do this and you know do that. And I think it's just the beginning of it because especially as uh, millennials and, uh, these generations get older, we're already used to this stuff. So it's going to make it you know, much easier to adopt and it's going to be much more part of our lives. But I think the real key is the, the hardware and then how that relates to it and whoever owns that, which is why Amazon and Google and all of them are trying to get their devices in everyone's home as quickly as possible. So how, how are you guys approaching that? Are you looking to partner with them? Or are you actually getting into the game yourself? It, it really depends. I mean, I see as well that I like to live in many different devices, not just ours. I think it all comes down to can device process conversation. Like a yes. doesn't do this today. Right. It's like it, it takes in a command, it sends down the command, it then processes the command. Like we can't even use our com we can't even use our conversational system on Alexa because of the way it times out, it'll time out if someone's right. not, and conversations don't happen all like they may take time. So this, so Alexa doesn't really work today, but I, I, we, so we may have a device in the future. I could see it. I also would just like to live in your phone and other devices that you take with you, which are conversational. You can converse into your phone. You can, we can do things like that. So, so I think, yeah, I'm open to it. It's a different world. I think the first thing is just. We're so focused on making conversations beautiful for brands. And we use the word beauty around here, like high quality, beautiful conversations. And the, the people that are running the technology stack are like, why does it, why can't it be better than human? Like they keep thinking like, why can't our conversations with the machine be better than a human conversation? It's interesting. You know, so it's a really interesting concept. Yeah. Why well, I, I think you can tell too, who has good AI chats. Like if I'm talking to an AI on a website, like I can tell, like most of them are, are not good. Right. But you can tell like yours, like it, it, it makes sense, like what's happening. And you guys have been in this space for so long and you basically invented this space, but you probably have so much data on conversations where you can analyze, okay, well, we have this huge, uh, storage of all of these conversations. Uh, that have happened. Now we can leverage that to predict and analyze future conversations and make it even easier that no one else can really do. Um, or there's probably not many companies that have the, you know, the mass of, you know, 
historical conversations that you guys have the ability to do. That's right. And we're, we're about to hit this month, a billion conversations in the month. Wow. So, so that data set, like, this is why we have like the core engineering team that was at Alexa over here. And we have like some of the best engineers around data science, because when they see that, that data of full end-to-end conversations between a brand and its consumers around every use case you can think of, if we can automate all those, that we're covering basically like 80% of the intents in your life. There's some verticals we don't, we're, we don't have, we're not highly penetrated in today, mm-hmm. but like or we're in insurance, we're in travel, you know, we're in definitely banking and telco, we're in retail. So like we're covering across all of it and if we can automate all those because I'm for better or for worse, all the agent today, the contact center agent has one job. They are a middle person between an intent of a consumer and a legacy backend system. Like we don't want to talk to a contact center rep somewhere in the world and say, hi, how are you doing? Hey, I'm really lonely on today. Can I just sit and talk to you for the next eight minutes because I need you to talk. Like there's a lot of places I could go if I'm lonely and it's not a contact center agent. But that's, it's funny enough, brands, have this legacy thinking like, oh, we, people want to talk to our people and that creates relationship. But the way you treat people is first of all, the people answer the phone, they're on a timer. They can't keep you, you can't be on the phone more than six minutes or eight minutes or they get dinged. So they're always rushing. They're in some backend system that sucks. So they're like, hang on. They may be in some foreign country and you can't understand. They may put you on hold for two hours or an hour. It's this whole mess. So it's not like, hey, let's go out to lunch. What are you doing today? What are you wearing? It's like, it's, this sucks, you know? And so machine should replace all of that, that time that we lose and the contact center agents, not a great job, like not a great job in this day and age. They need to be trained to be bot builders. Like we are training them now to build bots and build automations. They're changing their salaries. They're changing their lives. They're not answering phone calls, like not in 2021. Yeah, it, it blows my mind. I, I get frustrated when I have to talk to someone. Like it's because it's just not necessary and it can be done asynchronistically most of the time anyway. Um, and it, it can be done very simply. It's, you know, most of the time, like you, you were saying too, intent, like intent is a very important thing. It's like I'm contacting support because I have something wrong or I need something. And if, you can figure out what that is as fast as possible. And most of the time, I would bet 95% of the time, it's a very simple thing that people solve quickly or just user error and they didn't know where to find it or something like that. So it's really interesting. I think there's so much, it's crazy that there's still so much room in the industry and so many people are still sick and tired of customer service. Uh, and it, and it still hasn't gotten, you know, like I, there, there's still so much there opportunity, uh, in the space to make it frictionless, to make it easier and to save people time, uh, which is, I think a huge, uh, a huge thing. So I absolutely love that as we, as we wrap up here, I want to, uh, throw out a few uh, of the questions here as well. So, um. One person's asking kind of about the uh, scar tissue. We were kind of hinting at this a little bit earlier. How did you develop? So when you're first starting out, going through all the ups and downs is tough. But at, you kind of hinted on this a little bit. As you go through it so many times, as you fire people and fail and struggle, you develop almost a scar tissue for it, right? You get used to it a little bit more. Um, is there any, is there any way that you've uncovered to like get more comfortable with the uncomfortable? Is there any, any advice you have around that subject? I mean, right now we're going through a, um, it's interesting because right now we're going through a big period of change and I can feel it like every five to seven years in our business, like business change, like we, we grew from like 200 and something million to 500 million in 24 months. Like it's a pretty massive lift and, you know, we're hiring a bunch of people. I brought in some new leaders, but I, I, we're definitely like, we're trying to be a billion dollar revenue company. It's like different set of things. And, and we have this vision, this big vision and I can feel it, you know, you feel that change. So during these periods, you know, it's, 
I just got to, you, you accept that there's uncertainty. You know, as an entrepreneur, you naturally want more control over your life. That's why you decided to take the job, to do this job. You've decided, I want more control of my life. Well, that comes with a lot of responsibility. But sometimes you, you have control and sometimes you have a lot of control. And I think the hardest thing is to say, okay, we're going through a period of change. That's all it is. I need to play it out. It's not all going to be perfect. So I can't beat myself up. I may hire the wrong people one time, but I got to move fast. I'm doing so. I, I may make mistakes on something else. Either way, fail fast, make decisions, move forward. Like, and, and the hardest thing is if you wallow in it and hold on to stuff that's not working for you, that's where you end up in like the trench, you know, and you don't want to end up in the trench. So, so, you know, that's, that's and a good night's sleep. Like the best thing, like I, I value my sleep. Like I, during times of change, I just know I've got to get, I hate when I don't get good sleep. Like I have to sleep six and a half hours. I know exactly when I'm supposed to sleep. I did a sleeping program online to get my whole sleep. There's a whole sleep thing that you should do. If you can't go on the mind Valley app, there's a whole sleep thing. There. That's what I did. I learned like what my sleep window was between 10 30 and 11 30 where the blue blocker glasses like um, I, the reason to say that there's i've found sleep or heal all wounds like mm. i i i will and the other thing is that it's very important not to respond to the inputs because there's a lot of inputs coming at you and the best thing to do is just be like i'm not making decisions here on this right now i'm gonna let it play out for three days and see how i feel three days from now you have to you bend down time, you got to bend down time in certain cases, because you'll react emotionally. If you react with emotion, you're going to make a mistake. So if you feel all wild up and pissed or angry, or you have anxiety, stop, you know, break the emergency glass and just chill and, and sleep. You need to sleep, like get sleep. Yeah. I, I love that. That's, uh. It, it's one of the most difficult things to, for entrepreneurs. And I think routine helps, uh, tremendously with that. Um, one thing that you touched on earlier, I forgot to bring it back up was the meditation. Are you, do you do morning minute? What, what have you found to be helpful for yourself? I know it, it, it can be different for other people, but do you like morning meditation, evening meditation, both? Uh, do you transcendental med meditation, guided meditations? I know you mentioned breath work and stuff too. Do you have any routine around that or, or when do you, when have you found it to be helpful? No, I, the, I, you know, at this ashram where I was taught, first of all, at the ashram, they didn't teach you how to meditate. It's very, it's called, it's called Sri Aurobindo is the ashram in Pondicherry. If you ever get a chance, it's a good place to go. When you arrive as a help desk, and I remember I arrived there, I was arriving for my birthday all alone. And I'm like, I've come to meditate. Where do I take the class? And this little Indian guy, older guy that helped us, like, we don't give classes. I'm like, can I get a guru or something? Like, what can I get here? He's like, no. And he hands me this pamphlet. It's like a six page pamphlet. He goes, read this pamphlet and don't talk to anybody. Like, <laughs> I, was, I remember I was like, I just came from the United States to India. Like, and he's like, meditation is a very personal thing. You need to find your way. So that's the first thing I heard, which is like, don't go to classes. The second thing is I, I started to meet people at the ashram, start to talk. I started to wake up in the morning. I would start reading the pamphlet and, and then start, it took a couple of days, maybe about five days. And I started to get into the group, but someone told me at the ashram, the goal here is to be meditating in a crowded subway and not with your eyes closed, but to be in a meditative state at all times. And so what that means is that you are connected to your purpose, your inner voice at all times, and that keeps peace. Now there are times where I got a lot of noise and I have to take actual time and go through a, mo a motion. I usually do it in the morning where it's quiet. And, and so that's when, when I need, like, I need to, I know there's too much stuff going on. I can't get to my inner voice. There's like a lot of active voices. I'm like, what's the inner voice really telling me? And I get to it. The breath work I just started about two months ago and I use Soma, it's called Soma breath. And I met the guy, I was in Mallorca at an offsite and we brought him extraordinary. Breath lowers cortisol. The breath work will, if I do, I do every morning, 30 minutes of breath work guided through this app. Um, 
and it lowers your cortisol and your stress. And it's an extraordinary thing. I, as, as I, I would definitely do breath work. It's it, people underestimate this. We have, the only thing we need to do in our life is breathe. Like we don't need water every minute of the day. We need to breathe. And so we're, if we breathe the right way, our body thinks, Hey, we're chill. If we don't breathe the right way, our body thinks we're being attacked by a dinosaur. And it, it releases chemicals and all sorts of shit to like put you in heightened alert that you're going to die. And when those chemicals hit like cortisol and stuff, that messes up your heart, your body, your brain. So you have to be in some different stages there. The summer breath, that's there. Yep. Yeah, I've, uh, I forget when I found out about them. I've, I've been, I, I need to get back into the routine of meditation, breath work, and yoga. I, I was doing really good at it for a while and then... Uh, man, it's, uh, I think this is probably a sign to get back into things, but I, I think it's, it's definitely calming and, uh, yeah, the routine of it, it can be incredible. Um, are there anything, any other things real quick that you use for, for meditation? Do you use like any other apps or, or anything else to use like Aura Ring or Headspace? Oh, no, I, cause I, I, I learned and then I, I went back, I went back three years ago again on my birthday. Um, I keep in contact with people at the ashram. So they send me things all the time. I read the writings of the founders of the ashram who have been dead for many years. And, um, so I, I keep a connection with that, but you know, look, it's, it's, it's one of many things in your arsenal. You, you gotta find the things like it may not be meditation, breath work. Like, why do I need to do breath work if I'm doing meditation? Because it's not cutting it. Like. It gets harder as they get older. It gets harder actually as they get more responsibility. And you know, we got fifteen hundred people in the company. We we are like we we're in a different place with the business, which requires a lot more thinking and energy. And so I need tools. I need better tools than I'd had when I like Tony Robbins got me off couch. Like Tony Robbins is great to clean up any mess. You go to unleash the power within. It's a three day event. If whatever has messed up your life in your past, like literally whatever happened in your childhood, however bad it was, you go through three days of Lisa the power within, they do neuro-linguistic programming. They will reprogram your brain to let go of the emotional baggage of that event. And a lot of people, you need to do that. So when I was younger, I had that stuff and I need to clean that up. So I found myself to Tony Robbins. I don't really need that as much right now. I like, I like Tony, but I don't really prescribed to his stuff anymore because it doesn't serve me. I've had a coach for most of my life since 30, 32 years old. I've had a coach and I've had different coaches. So it's good to have someone to talk to, um, sometimes a release and not your family or friends, not your family or friends. You can't listen to your bullshit. All day. You got to taste, you got to taste less for sure. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you for sharing all of that. I think it's incredibly helpful and I think it's the future of you know, uh, a lot of entrepreneurship as well. I think we're just starting to tap into, um, you know, more broader awareness and mindfulness of all of this stuff. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back into it and, uh, really appreciate you for sharing all of this. I know we're coming up on time here. Uh, so I, I want to, you know, thank you so much for, for coming on. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing all the all the, all the incredible things that you're going to be doing in the future with live person as well. Um, uh, also definitely check out, uh, Rob's podcast as well. Um, Rob, as we wrap up here, what would be, uh, do you have any final pieces of advice, anything else that you'd like to share, uh, for maybe some of the young entrepreneurs or investors uh, listening in any final things that you'd like to share and then let people know where they can, you know, follow you, connect with you as well, and where they should learn more. Sure. I mean, you know, I, I go back to, I, it's, it's really important that you follow your gut. And, and what I learned, as I was saying, is that the gut is an active voice and whether you're an investor, whether you're, um, an entrepreneur, there are times where you have to make very hard decisions and that will steer you clear. There are times where I didn't take investment from certain people because my gut told me if I do that, it's probably going to hurt. And, and I, and, and so we all are given this 
powerful thing that sits inside of us. It's a gift. And, uh, and I'll leave you with a story about that for that. I'll play. So you, you get me, I, I have a podcast called over the wall. Um, I'm on all the social channels, but over the wall, I've done interviews with like, you know, all sorts of people like Tim story and Deepak Chopra and, uh, Ed Norton, the actor and, you know, co-founder of Netflix and I, I, you know, all sorts of people and Susie Orman and also feel and it, it's and, and i really pride myself in trying to dig deep with them on like what's real don't do me the bs stuff what's real and running your life and your business and being successful so check that out but i'll leave you i'll leave you with a, a story about the inner voice so um i was told this at the ashram so you know at one time there were only gods in the world and and then there was earth and the gods wanted to uh populate earth with uh people and so they wanted to take some of the gods the ones that were were so-so and put them down on earth but the big problem was that they knew that they would still be gods they would have godlike powers so the two there's these two gods up there talking to each other like what to do one god says well now we need to hide the godlike powers because we can't let everyone down there have to. These are humans now. These are, they got flesh and blood. They're not up here in the ether. So the one God says, well, where, where should we hide? And the other God says, oh, we're going to hide in the most hardest place for a human to find its godlike powers. And the guy says, well, the, the other God, the one says, well, where? And the God says, uh, within. We'll stick it right with them. We'll never find it. And, you know, it kind of stuck with me. Like, it's hard to find the thing within. We distract ourselves with things without and outside, but it's hard to sit with yourself, listen to your voice and actually take its instruction. It says, quit my job. It says, don't hire that person. It says, don't take the money, even though I need it so bad. You know, it says, do things that I don't want to do because they're going to create pain for me. But... If you want to know what happiness and sadness is, it's, it's the, that's the arbiter of that voice. And you can drown it out with drugs. You can drown it out with alcohol. You can drown it out with distraction. You can drown it out with social media. You can, you can literally drown it out. And I, people self-medicate to drown out the voice that's telling them you're not living the life you should lead. But you will never outrun your voice. You'll die happy or sad, but you're never going to run outrun your inner voice. So you're better off facing it, sucking it up, it's going to suck. It's going to ask you to do things, but at the end, you're going to be so happy that you did it and you'll be a hero. You'll, you'll have the hero story. You'll have the hero story. I absolutely love that. It's, it's really funny that you bring this up right now. I, this gives um, a whole nother tangent, but it reminds me a lot of, uh, Joseph Campbell's philosophy. If you're familiar with the hero's journey. So Joe, that whole, I don't know if you've seen the documentary called Finding Joe. Yep. I watched that right before I graduated in 2014. And then I got my job and everything. But I always kept thinking back to that and following your bliss. And when I really thought about what I was doing, I realized I wasn't following my bliss. And that's what led me to leaving my job and then going on this whole entrepreneur journey for the last six years and it's been like nuts it's been a lot of shitty times and, and everything but like i'm much more of who i i'm much more of myself now i'm following my bliss 100 i know exactly what i want and like i'm on that path now to like my hero's journey like you're saying so uh i would encourage anyone to watch that um, it's, it's huge. Uh, there's so many, there's so many things within Joseph Campbell's like whole philosophy. It seems like you're, you're very familiar with it. And yeah, what stories are like the stories that we always relate to. And this is the story all of us want, you know, we have the hero story is that, you know, had a vision, went on a mission, you know, hit the, found, uh, you know, someone to come with you on the mission, found evil on the mission that tried to defeat you. You know what I'm saying? Usually bigger and bolder. You know, you defeat and then you continued on with the mission and you succeed. Star, we all know Joseph Campbell was how Star Wars 
was created. You know, that was just based on the hero's story. So we all have it in us to be a hero. We all have it in us to be a God, you know? And so better off to do it. I, I, you know, I, I feel sorry for people. You never, never want to get on your deathbed. And, you know, we're all going one place. The only thing we all know is everyone on this is going one place. We all will die. I don't know what else will happen in between. You may succeed, you may fail, may get a job, may go. But the end result is the same for all of us. So what does that mean? It means at the end, when they bury you, they're not going to talk about when you didn't make your number or you failed. It's not how it works in the funeral. The worst part is though, if you are there that day before you go and you're sitting and go, what if? What if I only did the thing I wanted to do? What, how would my life been different? And no way do you want to be at the end of your life with the what if, because you will be reincarnated and stuck back on this rock to go live it out again. And I like, I'd rather just move on and find wherever the next place is than have to come back to wherever the hell this is and go live through this stuff again. I love it. I think that's a great way to wrap things up. Um, you know, this, I feel like this conversation was just about as much about business as it was more of the inner game as well, which it seems like you've, you spent a lot of time, uh, understanding and thinking about too, which is, which is awesome. And, uh, definitely, uh, yeah, really, really enjoyed this Rob and appreciate your time. Looking forward to staying in touch, looking forward to uh, all the amazing things that you have going on. Um, if there's any other links or anything else that you want to drop in there, I just, uh, I, I shared the podcast link there uh, so people can check that out and stay in touch with you. Follow Rob out on uh, social media as well. I know uh, you're, you're starting to get more uh, active and put out a lot of great content there as well. So Rob, appreciate your time and thank you so much. And um Everyone who listened, thank you for for listening. Uh, we will be dropping the recording uh, in the next few days, so let us know if uh, if you need anything else. And uh, really appreciate uh, everyone for coming out. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, thanks, Michael. Have a good one. Got it. Take care. Uh, for people who um, are are new to Entra, uh, we we're going to be doing a bunch of these interviews with CEOs, investors, all sorts of people. There's always different rooms and stuff going on here on Entra. Uh, I think we have one coming up here shortly on uh, Web3 and the metaverse, uh, but there's there's a bunch of things constantly going on here, events. Uh, introduce yourself to the community. Uh, we want this to be a place where you can find other like-minded individuals uh, to connect with, grow your team, uh, find investors, all of that. Uh, we have a lot of exciting things coming up here in the future as well. If you are a founder, if you're looking to fundraise and and you want to uh, get in front of investors. We we have our pitch competition as well. Uh, and that's just, uh, you know, every single month now we're going to be doing this. We're going to be giving out $1,000 in cash, plus a bunch of different prizes. Uh, that will be going on. You'll see the pitch feed if you go to the app uh, and you can apply there to pitch. Um, and uh, we're trying to help out as many founders and, and people as we can uh, get in front of the right people and uh, just give them access to uh, entrepreneurs and investors. So thank you everyone for, for coming through. Uh, hope everyone enjoyed it. This is basically our what third now live podcast on Entra. Uh, it's something that uh, now uh, anyone can basically host, record, and have basically live uh, viewers for their podcast directly on Ultra or any show or event that you'd like. So if you are a podcaster or you're looking to do events, uh, you can now do them uh, directly on Ultra on video with screen sharing, uh, recording. You could even charge uh, by connecting your Stripe account if you wanted to. If you're doing paid events or workshops or anything like that, uh, you now have the ability to do all of those things uh, directly through Ultra on any device. So we're excited about all of that stuff. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot more of these interviews as well going forward now. And, uh, if you have any interesting, um, people that you think would be cool, uh, founders, investors, uh, let me know, feel free to reach out. We're always looking for new guests and we're always looking for new people to come on, uh, 
to the show and uh, also do their own show as well. If you're interested in doing a podcast, we'd love to talk to you about that and get you set up. Uh, it, it's it's totally free as well. So our goal is to make it really, really easy for people to get started and get rolling with their podcasts and, and their content and all of that and easily make money as well very, very quickly. If there's anything that we can do to help, uh, if you have questions about anything, if you have questions about Entra, if you have questions about starting or growing your business, feel free to reach out to me. I'm uh, always here to help and uh, you can message me at any time. Thanks everybody. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of The Entrepreneur Show. If you'd like to connect and network with other like-minded people, entrepreneurs, investors, freelancers, and startups, check out our app or go to our website, joinentra.com. Thank you so much for being a part of our community. If there's anything that we can do to help you, please reach out to us and let us know.